Good morning, Chair City Church. How you doing today? <laughs> Woo, you, you are an awesome group. So glad to be here with you. I'm Dave, and I get to pastor this wonderful group of Christ followers. And if you're not one of them, give me time. Give us time. We will get you there, right? <laughs> so the title of this series is The Movement, as you got, huh? Because and every week, in one way or another, we've been talking about how the church isn't a denomination. It's not a hierarchy of leaders. It's not a tradition. It's not a location. It's not a building. How dare we say that, right? Coming into our new and wonderful building. But the church is a movement, meaning it's a group of people that came together and believed in a simple message that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for our sins, and that he was resurrected and Jesus is alive. Huh? I used to, when, I was, when I first came around to church, I was 17, they would pound out, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. I'm like, well, man, if he is, he certainly can hang it. It was huge in the church I came into, into the faith with. Now, we've talked about how it was so incredible, meaning it, it to this day perplexes historians how this church, which was so incidental in such a meaningless place, with its, follow, with its, follow, with its leader executed, how it came to such prominence, meaning how it grew rapidly and it became so impacting in the history of this world that today over one-third of the world in one way or another believes that Jesus is who he said he was, the way, the truth, and the life. We talked about Peter and Paul these last few weeks. You know, that how they were, Peter, one of the first disciples of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we'll talk about that a little bit later, how he preached this message and talked to people and thousands became part of the movement, the church. And then Paul, who was this guy named Saul, the Bible changes his name to Paul, he was a bad dude. He was persecuting and hurting and even killing Christians. And he had this moment with Jesus. I had a moment with Jesus. I hope you can have a moment with Jesus where nothing else matters in life. Literally, nothing else matters in life. Not even life itself matters, just sensing the presence of God is everything. It's paramount, yes? Well, you get that. I'm not saying you live from that. I'd love to. I don't. But it's certainly, it's like I say, you know, when you play golf, a very loose application, you know, illustration here. And you, I've already expressed my disdain for the game of golf, but in many other sermons. But it's like that, you know, this game, you know, where, why do people keep playing this game? And what it is, is every now and then they'll get a, not a hole in one, but they'll get close enough. If you're my father-in-law, you'll hit somebody. You'll hit more people than a hole in ones. But he does. He has a vicious slice. It's dangerous, man. <laughs> I, I can't play with anybody. He refuses to play with me. But, but if it's close enough that you're like, wow, I'm going to keep playing this game. When you have this moment with Jesus that no one can take from you, nothing can remove that from you, it's a beautiful thing. And Peter and Paul had those moments. And they went out and talked and told people about those moments. And they talked about Jesus and what they saw and what they heard. And the movement grew. We talked about how this movement was a gathering of people, an assembly of people. That's the church. Now, Peter and Paul were very bold in saying this. God has done something unique. A man has been raised from the dead. His name is Jesus, and he is the Son of God. That's the message. And this message, this basic message, changed the world. They didn't realize how much it was going to change the world or what was happening. We, in retrospect, can say confidently, accurately, historically, it changed the world. Now, the question I want to say today, I want to the question I want to ask today is this. Does the church really matter today in our lives? In this life, does the church matter? 
Does it make any difference if the church exists today? Has it made any difference in the world? And the answer is, I believe wholeheartedly, yes. The church does still matter. You might not think that if you talk to somebody on Thursday and say, I'm going to church. Who cares? It doesn't matter. You told your neighbor, you told your friend, you told your people work. But I'm here to tell you that I believe wholeheartedly the church does matter. I believe the church still makes a difference and has made an incredible difference. We don't get this as much because we've grown up in this country, in, this country, in America, where what we know to be these values, these essential critical values that, we, that are part of our fabric in this country, we just assume that's how it is, that, that's, that's the way people are. And those people who live in other countries where we see these deplorable, horrible ways people are treated, like, well, well they're, that, they got it wrong. They're, they're, that's, and it is wrong, but they're the anomaly, not realizing we're the anomaly, huh? Because of the church. You see, we are used to things being this way, and we can't grasp that the reason why this country is, is a great country and the fabric of this country is by far superior to the fabric of most countries out there, certainly many countries out there, and the way people are treated, men, women, people of all ages, because this country, in, its, in, the, in, in the deep of its fabric, were built on the message of the church. So let's take somebody from the outside, somebody who's impartial, somebody who's not a believer. Let's go outside our circle and bring them in. A guy named David Aikman. He's a journalist for Time Magazine. So he sets out to turn around and do this study, or this, call it an article, on China and, and China's perspective of America. And he interviews a Chinese scientist actually a social scientist. And in particular, this one man was part of a group of Chinese social scientists that for years were studying America to find out what? Why America is such a powerful country. Why America is so sex successful. Why America is the player in the world. Because they want those same attributes. And I'm going to give you don't, we don't have any ceilings, towers for you to stare at, so it's, it's not going to be long, but it's not going to be short. I want to give you some excerpts from this. As I say, this might be the time, if you're a Facebook junkie, to go and check your Facebook. But if you can stay with me, you'll get the point why this is, especially if you're not a believer, especially if you're kind of like one foot, in, one foot out of this Christian thing, if you're on the fence. I, just get this, because this is two people, both the journalist from Time, the Chinese scientists, they're both non-believers, they're not religious people, they both have this objective to get to fact, to get to truth. And this is what the Chinese scientist said to Aikman. He said, one of the things we were asked to look into, what, what accounted for the success of America? In fact, the preeminence of the West all over the world. So China wants to become bigger, better, right? What made us great? The Chinese, the Chinese scientist goes on to say this, we studied everything we could from the historical, political, economic, and cultural perspective. Get this. At first we thought it was because you, America, had more powerful guns than we had. Bigger, better, mightier, more powerful, right? Then we thought it was because you had the best political system. Next we focused on your economic system. Listen to the next part. 
But in the past 20 years, we have realized that the heart of your culture is your religion. Christianity. That is why the West has been so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Listen. This is a, this is a scientist... He's an impartial person. He's non-religious. He's part of a group that shares a similar lifestyle, and they have one objective, to get the truth and to get the fact. And they conclude that what makes America so different, so powerful, is Christianity. Now, that's not the conclusion that most people would come to in our country. That's not the conclu conclusion many, some of you would come to, <laughs> right? If we would say, what has made America so great? What has made America a standout country with its imperfections and its inconsistencies? Overall, why have people who have been part of this country treated better overall, superior than people in other countries? What makes it that way? We might say, well, our educational system. Uh, we might say our military. We might say our economy, our democracy. We, we just wouldn't say, hey, without question, undoubtedly, scientifically, statistically, it's Christianity. I don't, I don't think we can get there. We might even almost be nowadays embarrassed to say that as if we're ignorant or uneducated. But I'm going to hang with the Chinese scientists, right? And I'm going to say, you know what? What he's saying, I believe wholeheartedly is true, that this is what makes America such a wonderful country. It is because of the religion. It is because of Christianity. Now, the, the scientist goes on to say this. The Christian moral foundation on the social and cultural life was what made possible the emergence of capitalism and then the successful transition to de democratic politics. We don't have any doubt about this. So what he's discovered is it's not just capitalism. You guys managed to do capitalism with a conscience overall, and we have. Oh, I know, that's not popular anymore to say, you know? What's popular is just to be angry and find things to be angry, out, angry about, right? We, we, no one actually does anything. We just get angry. We click on this. We mention this. We comment on that. We don't have any skin in the game anymore. We just get angry. <laughs> Mercy, forget about mercy. I teach my kids in the, in the inner city who are coming up through depravity, who were who abused and mistreated. I said, man, don't complain about anything. Don't gripe about it until you know you're going to make a difference with it and you're going to change it. You hear me? Because other than that, you'll just be angry and it'll just defeat you and it'll ruin you. Don't be angry. Don't be turned to look at only the negative. Look at all the incredible, wonderful things that have come from th this country that God has raised up and where he's done wonderful things through because his truth was foundational in this country. Because the church matters and the church flourished in this country and the church still is in this country and it's not a building, it's not a denomination, it's not a location, it is a movement of people. And our presence here today shines that light, screams that out, shouts it out in Gardner, in North Central Massachusetts and in the state of Massachusetts, right? That's what we did here. That's what we're set to do. September 24th, we kicked this off into our community. I'm excited about that. I can't wait to get up here week after week soon to tell you to invite your friends, to invite your family, to let's go, to let's, let's launch this large. We never launched large in the history of our church. We're going to do it on September 24th, yeah? All right, so they go on to conclude this, and I'll end it with this. And, and this really, if everything, I don't know, this, this, this kind of got personal to me. I think it's awesome. They concluded America's secret sauce, 
these value things, right? The glue that keeps it all together and keeps it moving is this sense of right and wrong, that somehow the Chinese culture was not able to consistently, you know, weave in and out of what they do. This sense of how to treat people, you know, just didn't exist. And somehow that was the breakdown, that um, um, in America people were more motivated, more inspired, and there's a difference between inspiration and motivation. Huh? And that inspiration comes from you and I, God working through us to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the cool part. They said this. They said when they then turned and studied their own country, meaning they, they turned from studying America and they went and studied their own country, China. Because guess what? There are Christians in China. I mean, by the day, thousands of people in China are coming to know Christ. So they went out and studied them. And here's what they found. They had to go out to the rural areas. That in these rural areas where kind of, we would call them missionaries, they call them evangelists, where they've been kind of allowed to roam a bit and, and, and get involved in people's lives, they found this, that, that drug use, opiate use was down noticeably. They found that crime was down. They found that those families who had adopted the Christian way of life were wealthier, more prosperous than those families that had not. Why? Because the church is meaningful. The church makes a difference. Because the church is a movement of people with a simple message that changes the world and it does so for the better. That's what you walked into today. That's what we're a part of. That's what this is. And all that, by the way, if you're into reading, what I read you comes from a book called What Good Is God by Philip Yancey. If you're really into reading, he wrote another book called Why Church, which is I think it's just hysterical. He's got some really good, you know, insights into that book. But why church, what good is God, Philip Yancey, good reading. So listen, do you know what the Chinese sociologists and scientists, what they discovered? They discovered that the church matters. Yeah, that's their conclusion. The church, the Christian church matters in the United States of America. It makes a difference. The things we love about our country, the things that are most precious to us, those on the outside are saying it came from the church. It came from that movement. Huh? And yet we have a hard time, even as believers, of really giving credit to where credit is due. Huh? This is the secret of our country, the secret of our success. Now, we may think it comes natural because it's just what we know. Even countries in Europe that no longer profess to be Christian, as I say, this is not a Christian country anymore, nor are many countries in Europe, but their fabric, the foundation of what, how they view the world, how they treat people, came from the church, and it's still, still, still coming from the church. So we think it's normal. We have this, it's a normal way of thinking of life, of looking at life. When we look around the world, we say that, you know, that, that would never happen in America. That would, you know, you, you get on a plane, you travel to a third world country, and it's, you kind of, you have to fight not to be condescending. You're like, we would, you know, when I went to Mexico City, I'm like, oh, my Lord, we would never allow that to happen in our streets. We would never do that, you know, like a preschool area and then like this, you know, body shop next to it and all this stuff is blowing into the kids and, and there's the guy taking a bribe. It just, it just wouldn't happen like that here, blatantly. And on and on and on because we just have what? We have this greater value of life and of people. And where did that come from? It came from the church. Does the church matter? It does. It does matter. You see, we are not only stewards of the message of eternal life. We are stewards of the message of a better life. Now, if you do not believe in God and you're in here, you're saying, oh, that is so stuck up. That is so condescending, you know. 
I really believe that. I've always believed this. When I did not go to church, there was a season in my life where I swore off church. And it wasn't the people, it was me. The people were cool. I was good enough to say, it's me, man, it's not them. Yeah, they got problems, but I got bigger problems. I just didn't like sitting there hearing what somehow had been embedded in my conscience was true and not living out that life. I, I, I didn't want it. So I swore off going to church. But you know what? I did believe this. I did believe the way Christians lived ultimately was a better way to live, that in the end, it was a better ending to the story, that in the end, when all was said and done, it equated to a more meaningful life. I got this. I got this at like 18. I got this in my early 20s. I really got it in my late 20s. And I'm not saying that all Christians were good. No, some of them were jerks, you know, and I hit them, and I yelled at them, and I cursed them. Yeah, they were jerks. Not the right way to go about it, but I did. Thank God for a pastor who loved me, who took me in, you know, and who said to everybody, hey, listen, I get this. He is depraved. He has issues. He shouldn't have punched you in the face. He shouldn't have cursed you out. He shouldn't have tipped over that thing. But at the end of the day, listen, I've talked to him. I'm going to teach him how to repent. You're going to forgive him. This is a church. This is a movement. Let's keep it going, right? That's what it is, huh? I'm not making that up. I'm actually downplaying it. I'm not kidding you, because I don't want to romanticize it and go into further details. That was my pastor. She loved me. She stood by me. She stood by the truth more than anything else. And it was a movement. And I got this incredible glimpse of what it was to be a movement. But I believed that what their message was, more than them, more than them, because again, there was inconsistencies, but the message was true. I, and, and I don't know if I'm jumping ahead of my message here, but I think what I got was this. You see, I, I had, I'm going to say in kind of a, I had an advantage. I've always said I've had this advantage. I've said it in different ways, where I knew evil before I knew there was a God. I believed more in evil than I, I did in God. I had this, you know, I, I got this simple message. So at 17 to 18, I got the message. It, I, didn't, I didn't know a lot about the Bible, I didn't know a lot about theology, but I got the simplicity of the message that Jesus died for me. The Son of God died. There was, he died for me. And that because of that, I could now talk to God and be in a place of... And, and I knew that because I was doing it, and I'd never done it before. Now that I acknowledge and recognize that Jesus did this for me, and he was who he said he was, I suddenly could like talk personally and communicate and talk with God, which is not what we would do. If, if and when we went to church, that was church, that was the building, that's where it happened. When we left out of that, we didn't know. If we were like hanging out, you know, having raviolis and somebody said, Jesus, what do you want, nut? What do you like, a holy roller? You want to be a priest? Shut up with the whole Jesus stuff. But now it, it was there. It, it was like a rolling narrative in my head that I'm talking about. So I got a little bit of the message. I knew a little bit about Christianity. But what I had a lot of, I had a lot of knowledge and experience with human nature. That I knew very well. And I always say this, I think, was an advantage in me coming to God. Human nature was not good. I knew that. Before I knew God, I knew that. Which is why I had this perception that these, this message would bring people to a better place. Because as I said, I was kind of in, in the, you know, like, so picture you go to Broadway play and, you know, like, wow, it looks awesome. Or you go to a, you see a movie or 
I, I kind of, the way I lived life, when it came to depravity, when it came, I was in like the dressing room. You know, imagine you go in the dressing room, you're kind of really seeing what's going on. You're really seeing how this plays out. You're really seeing how it comes together. That's kind of a view I had. So I got it. The way we live is crazy. It has bad endings. There's so many people that are playing parts here that their motivation is not good. And the way they're living, they're imperfect, but they got a better story. They got a better ending. This makes sense. I got that. If you grew up in New York City, if you hung out in Times Square, 42nd Street around midnight on a Saturday, you would get this too, I promise you. You would get this. And I'm not talking about prostitutes and addicts. I'm talking about principals. I'm talking about politicians. I'm talking about plumbers. I'm talking about architects. I'm talking about priests. I'm talking about pastors. I'm talking about everybody. You would get that there is an issue with human nature, that it is not a good thing, and that our nature drives us to go in the wrong direction. I'm not talking about Africa. I'm not talking about China. I'm not talking about the slums of India. I'm talking about New York City, one of the great cities of our country. I'm talking about human nature, that it is just driven to bring us in a wrong direction. I'm talking about a young girl, you know, bright, sweet, nice, pretty, travels a distance from her home, left home in a negative way, maybe thrown out of her home, maybe running away, and she has this sense of New York City. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Half the movies out there seem to take place in New York City, and she gets off a bus now to start her life, and what? And there's warmth and comfort and safety. Not, right? No. No. There's people there, human beings, men and women and doctors and lawyers and pastors and plumbers and architects and teachers there now working together to prey on her life, to destroy her life, right? Why? Because it's human nature. This is the nature of, of human beings. And yeah, by the grace of God somehow, you know, I've heard personally from people who have endured that, and it's mind-boggling to think how God worked their life. It's incredible to think there are people that have risked their life to go in there and save some of these girls and boys. And I'm not talking about Romania. I'm talking about New York City and the same in Texas and in Florida and so on. Why is this happening? Because it's human nature. So I got this thing about Christianity and this way of living, considering others before yourself, denying yourself, thinking about God. I, I'm like, th this is a good message. This works. And when people do that, it does bring out the best in them. When they do that in a way that they're part of a movement, it's been distorted. We talked about that in week two, I believe. Huh? How there were dark seasons and, and dark times when the church has been distorted and the message has been quenched. But, it, but movements move on, and this movement still moves on. And we're here today to profess the truth that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, and the church is important, and it changes lives. Where am I? All right, okay. So listen, we ourselves, if we were left to our own devices, I know this isn't like a feel-good message, but if you get it, you will feel good. If you embrace this truth, you will feel better leaving here than when you walked in. You will feel better about yourself being more aware of yourself and filled with hope into what you can be if you get this. If left to our own devices, we would be in trouble. We, 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 you, know, you know, lying, it's nature's way to lie, to, ste to, to steal, the violence, the racism, the prejudice, an eye for an eye, you know, survival of the fittest, first come, first serve. It's all our nature. And that's why the church matters more than ever. Because the teachings 
of the church, of the movement, of Jesus Christ say that we can overcome our nature, that we can overcome all of this, and we can live a better life and a superior life. And to the degree that, to the degree that we do is the degree that we will thrive and we will live a better life. It is a better life. I have never met in 20 years, and I would tell you if I did. I am raw sometimes, am I not? Even when I'm on probation up here, I'm still raw, am I not? I would tell you if I ever met anyone that lived out this life close to what God calls us to, let alone to its fullest, and regretted it and didn't leave behind a good life. I've, n- I've never, and I watched this. I, I watch, it's how I learned. I, I watched people. I watched their lives. I've been there when they've died. Numerous times I've been there when people have died. I've been there when they're going through pain. I've, I talk with unbelievers and believers. I text people who are in jail. I, I, I get it. This is a great message. This message and this movement has changed the world, and it changed the world because it changed people's lives individually and gave them a better way to live, a superior way to live. It's not that they were better people than others, but they took on and they took hold and they believed in a better message and were part of the better movement. So, what time? All right. They put a clock up there, and I don't even look at it, you know? All right, so we're going to fly. So we talked about that we're doing a study uh, through the book of Acts. And in that book of Acts, it talks about Paul, and he's kind of traveling throughout the then-known world to share about Jesus. And he's really sharing that message with more like non-Jewish people, people who have some no knowledge of God. And after he goes, he goes to this place called uh, Galatia. And he starts this church, meaning people coming together. He tells them about Jesus. They click. They come together. They assemble. He leaves, and he, years later, he writes them a letter. You might know it is the book of Galatians. It's a letter that he writes to the church, the movement in Galatia. And, you know, he, there's these fascinating terms emerging there. There's one term. There's a bunch of words that could be interpreted as this phrase. What goes around comes around. So true, right? Yeah, that came from this letter. How cool is that? Yeah, that came from Paul, and he's in prison writing it, and he writes these words, and some of those words is just that what goes around comes around. I got that. I didn't get a lot of the Bible, but I got that in my late teens. I'm like, oh, that's so true. And then at 23, I'm like, wow, that's really true. And at 28, I'm like, wow, I don't know if there's anything more true than that, huh? I get this as I made my turn to God. But he also talked in that same letter to the Galatians, he wrote these words about flesh and spirit. And, and I think it's cool because I think it's something that everyone could relate to, those who are in the faith and those who are not in the faith, just those who want to live a better life, those who want to have a better community of believers. This is what it should look like and what it shouldn't look like. So we're going to go through it quickly. Galatians 5, chapter 16. He says, so I walk by the Spirit and you will, so, so I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So he's already implying, hey, if you go the human way, it's not good. It's going to look ugly, which he eventually calls out as sin. 
Verse 17, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, meaning, man, you got two wolves here, two wolves, your flesh and the spirit, the wolf you feed the most is going to be that one that wins, okay? They are at it against each other. And, and I get that part right there, because that's why I wouldn't go to church. That's why, so if this message and this Christian stuff, you thought it was so good, why didn't you do it? Because as I said, many, I'd get headaches, because there was this, <laughs> this thing going on in me that said, man, you know, do right, don't do right. I, I just couldn't deal with the conflict. Maybe I'll get to that later on. So they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We'll get to that in a bit. He goes on to say in verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. So immorality is when our nature takes us in a direction away from God. Sexual immorality is where now a part of that immorality is geared towards sexuality, huh? Something that all of us at one point or another have participated in or have been tempted to act in a sexually immoral way. Okay? I am convinced I am not alone on this one. Now, and then he goes to talk about debauchery. And the debauchery is like anything goes with anyone, anywhere. Can you imagine living in a world where your sexual nature was allowed to exercise all its behavior? Now, if this is a good thing, then things would be cool, right? But can you imagine right now, knowing your thoughts, knowing what you know about people, that if people were allowed with no laws and no consequences to live out their, their sexual desires, how ugly it would be out there, huh? And I think that's, a, that, and, but the message says that's not the way to do that, huh? Paul says that's your flesh, that's your nature, and it is. Don't live by your nature. Don't do it that way. Don't give in to your own selfish desires. Can you imagine what it would be like if we didn't put the brakes on this area of humankind? Paul goes on in verse 20. Idolatry, he talks about idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. Idolatry is essentially giving, putting more value on stuff and materialistic things than people. We do that. We have a tendency, especially... It is something that kind of seems to happen in this country more than other countries. That I'll say, you know, where, you know, and even getting things done and accomplishing things become more important than people themselves. It's something that we really work hard to guard against here at Cherry City Church. God have mercy on us. Witchcraft is just, you're just tapping into supernatural things for the sake of profiting yourself, your own agenda. That's out there. Jealousy is a tough one to spot. Man, I think jealousy contributes to a lot of hatred, and I don't think it, we realize it's creeping up on us. You see something happening in somebody's life, you're like, that's what I want, that's what's good for me. You're probably doing this out of ignorance, yeah? But nonetheless, it happens. Their success becomes your disruption, and, and you literally begin, you begin to hate them. You hate your life. You keep going. It's ugly stuff. This is human nature. This is something that we are all susceptible to, and probably all of us, to one degree or another, have acted this out. Paul goes on, and we come to an end of this wonderful parade of positive stuff, right? He says, hey, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And the like there in the original language, he's saying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, man. There's so much stuff here, I could keep going. 
I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so here we go. What he's saying is this. If you knowingly and continually behave in this manner and you embrace it as way of life, you are turning apart from God and you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you go out there and you conduct yourself in a sexually immoral way, apart from God, and you do so knowingly and you embrace this, he's saying you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. What he's saying is you're not, you're living, you're feeding your flesh. And everybody said, duh. Of course you are. Of course. And I'm not saying that, that it, when I was in your shoes, I didn't do that anyway. And I'm not saying I don't want to have dinner with you. And I'm not saying you're not a good person. I'm not, not saying you're not really smart. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying any of that, you know. I'm just saying this truth and this grace. The grace is, I, I do. I, I, I think better of you than I do myself at times, you know. I just having that conversation with somebody in, in, in that prayer room over there saying, you know, I, I think... Sometimes it's hard because I, I see so much not good in me, and sometimes I thank God I do. But I truly don't think I'm better than you. I really don't. If you get closer to me, you'll realize I do not think I am better than you. Maybe when it comes to picking my sports teams, I'm better than you. When it comes to picking food, I'm better than you. But after the food and the sports, I, I'm, I'm good. We're good. You are in first place. Yes, I get it. That's terrible. I won't. Yeah. <laughs> All right, December 17th, Steelers Patriots. We'll watch it here. Yeah. I'm, I'm counting the days, man. I don't know why, because you just kill us, but I'm counting the days anyway. <laughs> All right, how much time we got left? Here, here's what I'm saying. So I got this, though. Believe it or not, at 18 years old, I got this whole sexual immorality. Oh, I was sexually depraved, but I got that it was depraved. I got that we're all in it. So maybe I'm going to go off course here. Let me... I hope this adds to what I'm trying to accomplish here. So when you're hanging around really depraved people, they, I mean, really depraved people who are fairly seemingly powerful and accomplished, they get this simple premise. Wait, not get it, but here's what they're, they're thinking, they're no, we're no worse than everybody else. If everybody could do what we do, they would. If people had access to what we had access to, they would. We've just come to terms with that. They're just kind of jerking around with it, you know? Because at the end of the day, you walk into a bar and there's two people smiling at each other. They're both in it to get what they want, you know? You know, you see a couple walking down, sitting on the beach, talking this and that. Yeah, things are cool. They're both looking to get what they want. So basically, you know, all's fair in love and war. Everybody's looking to get what they want. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to get what they want. This is how it works out. And it does. Let's not fool ourselves. I know. You don't. It just simply does. When you're living by your flesh and not your spirit, come on. And, no, and really, not saying people can't behave terribly, but what they're doing is they're living by their nature. It's just what they know. It's the direction they go in. Huh? And some people, it goes to different degrees, depending on their backgrounds. Their, you know, there, there, there are breaks put on, but often they just keep going and living it out. But Paul's saying, if you live like this, you don't inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's saying, you don't have to live like this, this human nature way. There's another way to live. And here's what he's saying. There's another way, and he concludes with this. There's another way to live. Is church important? It is important. Does church matter? It does matter. Does the mess up of the church matter? It does. 
because you're sitting here right now, and just so you know, if you think, man, I'm living with somebody, so are a lot of other people in here. And you think, oh, I had sex last night with somebody, so did some other people in here. Oh, well, actually, I hope a lot of people did, but they were married, but some people did and they're not married. And if you have a young person, I'm just sorry, I just, whatever, you know, he's kicking it around. Uh, sex is a good thing given to us by God. Sex is for two people that are intimate first, meaning they've now shared their emotions together. First, they've came from a place of who they, they know what they believe in. They know who they are. They know what they believe. Huh? And now they turn around, and in that, in that belief, they can be honest with God and honest with themselves. They're not desperate. They don't need anybody else to define them. They don't have to find their identity in anybody else. Huh? They don't need to picture their life with somebody else forever and ever and ever to make themselves happy. They got it. I am right with God. I know who I am. I'm honest with God. I'm honest with myself. We can go from here. It's going to be good. Yes? And then, then and from that place, now they can get, begin to share emotions with another person in a healthy way. They begin to share life and dreams and hopes. And that's super cool. Because I, I, it's great. It's awesome. It's exciting, you know? As it should be. And then after that now, they, now you're getting into degrees of intimacy with this person. You're drawing close to this person. And then as time comes, you then begin to share physical pleasure with them as God intended in this process. What happens is we jump into the physical part before we know who we are. We can't even be honest with ourselves. God, who cares about him, right? And I'm going to share all these emotions. What I'm really telling you is what I need you to be so that I can consciously sleep with you. Now you tell me what you want me to be so we can sleep together, but we have no idea who we are or what we really want. I'm not insulting. I'm just giving you human nature here. And then two good people who were just living out their natures, not wanting to hurt anybody, wound up on this very convoluted course, huh? All right, I'm off track. I'm all over the place. All right, maybe somebody got that. All right, so let's close this out. We're running late. Paul goes on in chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit... Paul says, hey, listen, I'm not talking about hocus pocus. I'm not talking about ghosts. He says, I'm talking about the spirit. The spirit is what inhabits us when we turn to faith in Jesus Christ. The spirit is what God, when the Bible says God sets his mark on our soul, he makes a deposit in us. This is the spirit, huh? The spirit is what tells us, hey, don't do that. Don't participate in that. Do this. Do that. This is the part where I, I couldn't stand going to church, honestly. Because the same way I would, I, I'd be out there living my life. And this is the part that made me think there had to be a God. Because I'm out there now, after I came to faith in Christ, as I was baptized, after I talked to God openly and honestly, and I had these sincere discussions, I, I couldn't get away from this thing. I'd be out there in, in, in kind of places to indulge myself physically, and, and I'd be thinking about some of this stuff. I'm like, shut up! And most of the times, I would get it to shut up. We're pretty, you know, which way you watch on nature. But I didn't like the struggle. There were times where I'd just turn around and tell people, hey, here's a few bucks. Just, you're screwed up, man. <laughs> just go get something to eat. Or, or you need to go to church. You, you do. You need to go to church. You need help. Let's not do this tonight. Yeah. Or let, let's not participate. Let's not do this. And, and just you over there, just you need help. You need God. This inner narrative keeps going, and that's the Holy Spirit. It's talking to you in here today. Don't push it out. God is speaking to you. 
And he's not calling you to something less. He's calling you to something more. And you might even have something that's golden and beautiful. You might have a situation with an occupation. You might have something going on in your family. You might have a relationship that is truly has such massive, wonderful potential for two people to come together and sacrifice for one another, one another and do something together that could, they have never done apart. Why blow it by just indulging and doing what your flesh wants when you could turn it to God who does exist and be part of a movement that did exist and be part of a message that has changed the world for the better, yes? All right, let's, we got to get through this. Okay, worship team, come up, please. 522 continued, but the fruit of the Spirit, now, now Paul saying, here's the characteristics of the Spirit of God in you. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. People who have affairs, who cheat, they're not, they don't have peace. They don't have joy. It's not there. If you're having an affair, if you're cheating, for whatever reason that has brought you to that place, that's a different conversation. Right now, I'm telling you, you're lacking peace. You're lacking joy. Peace is the closeness with God. God does not call us to be sexually immoral. That's not his spirit. So this isn't condemnation. I don't know why you're doing it. I don't know what brought you there. I'm not condemning you. I'm not judging you. I'm giving you truth. To say that's not what God has called you to. You're clouding the picture. You're making matters worse. That's not Dave. That's just me telling you the history of human nature, the history of, of humankind. And there's something greater for you. There's something better for you if you would step back and live by your spirit. The moment you would decide that, within minutes and hours, you would feel peace. You would feel joy. Trust in God. All right, let's go on. Then he says, Paul talks about kindness and goodness and faithfulness in the following verses. He talks about patience. Your Bible might say forbearance. Paul's writing about kindness in the day of the Romans. I mean, this is the Roman Empire. If there was a dictionary, they would have banned the word kindness from the dictionary, right? It was like, that was a dirty word, kindness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is if I said I will, I will, Right? If I said I would stick by you when things were good, I will. If I said I'll stick by you when things are bad, I will. I will stick by you. I will be faithful. In marriage, in friendships, in relationships, in the church, we will be faithful. Yes? Not when something goes the way we don't want it to, that the horns come out or the gossip comes out. We will be faithful. We'll honor each other, but there's honesty. We honor one another. We hold each other up before ourselves. But then there's honesty. We speak truth. Huh? And the same thing in relationships. Be honest. Speak truth. But stick by one another. And if you've gone through this and it didn't work out that way, okay, if, you're right, if you can make the difference and make the change and turn what we call repent, turn from living out in your nature and turn to God and begin to get to that faithfulness and make that right, go to it. But sometimes that doesn't exist. That can't happen. But now going forward, say, I'm going to live by my spirit. My spirit. I'm going to feed the right wolf because that's where I want to be. So I'm not going to do anything to feed the wolf that might bring me to unfaithfulness or put me in a position where we're being not faithful to each other. Because we started this baby out by indulging in ourselves rather than considering each other. Did I lose you? Do what you said you would. Be faithful. All right, gentleness and self-control. Come on, self-control. Imagine if we had this season in our country where everybody practiced self-control. Enough said. All right. 
All right, I've got to get to the end. He ends it with this. Against such things, he said. So he, he listed out all these positive things which are characteristics of the Spirit. It's not like you can have one and not the other. It's not like not, it's one, meaning if you believed in Jesus, if you've come to faith and God said his mark on your soul, he's drawn you close to him, you sense something good, it was going on in you. You sense when I think about God, when I consider going this way, something good is triggered in me. I feel that I can do this. I feel I can do more. I feel this hope. I think about good things. That's the spirit of God in you. It's not going to go away. It doesn't. I'm telling you, I tried it. It doesn't go away. Well, Paul, and that's the spirit that he put in you, one spirit. That when you have that spirit and you have this, you have the capacity now to live out all these things. The peace, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control, the love, the joy. You can do this because God's spirit is in you. You've got to believe that. And Paul says this, against such things there's no law. What he's saying is this. As amazing as it is, what he's saying is this. That, hey, if we live out by the Spirit of God, we don't need any laws. Now, I know human nature, we need them. That's why you have laws, because of human nature. Laws say human nature, right? Paul's saying, think about it. If we lived out by the Spirit of God, if everybody lived out by the Spirit of God, this is how powerful this message is. This is how true this is. Put this to the test of life if we all lived out by the Spirit of God in us. If everyone lived out, he said, we wouldn't even need any laws. And isn't it true? To God be the glory, right? Verse 24 and 25, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's what we did last week. We're going into the water, into a watery grave to just crucify our flesh, meaning to no longer live for our flesh. We are not going to be perfect, but we are going to turn around and live wanting to live by our spirit. And we, were going to, we might fall, but we will fall forward. We'll ask forgiveness. We'll keep going. We'll profess our faith in Jesus. We will be hopeful. And then 25, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Live by the spirit. It's a better way to live. All right. Listen, why don't you stand with me? You have a soul. I assure you, you do. And that's a positive thing. And anything that negatively impacts your soul negatively impacts you. But anything that positively impacts your soul positively impacts you. It's a better life. It's a better way to do. Does the church matter? It does. Does the message of the church matter? Of course it matters. Life tells us it matters. History tells us it matters. Social scientists tell us it matters. A kid from Brooklyn tells you it matters. It matters. It matters because we have the message of eternal life. It, ha- it matters because we have a message of better life. Why don't you bow your heads? Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for all those that are in here, oh God, for those who have come and joined us, for those who are participating in the movement, for those who are exploring in life, oh God. I thank you for their understanding, oh God. I thank you for their attention, Lord. And Lord, I pray, God, that me aside, but you up front, your Holy Spirit would right now rest on each and every person in here. Not a hocus pocus, but a God sincerely and genuinely reaching out to his creation and speaking, into, speaking to them in a way that I could not, speaking to them in a place that I cannot, speaking to them in a way that I cannot, but that they know they're being spoken to by their creator. They're being spoken to by Jesus, the one who gave his life for them, being filled with courage, 
and wisdom, O oh God, to make the right choice today, to turn to you with all their heart and to live by their spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.